0: Listen, I have some major beef to unload here. When did food shaming become a thing? I mean, don't try to food shame me with your selfie on Instagram with your non-GMO, vegan, kosher, gluten-free, dairy-free, kale-infused smoothie. Wearing your $150 organic yoga pants topped off with your $30 natural, cruelty-free, vegan eyeliner. No. No. I just ate a cowboy ribeye last night with some cheesy grits and topped off with a side of bacon-infused Brussels sprouts. I actually like Brussels sprouts because, I mean, let's be honest, bacon makes everything better. Oh, and yesterday, yeah, yesterday I went for a run in my $9 yoga pants from Target that I can only hope was woven with the finest GMO cotton in the country. Let's be honest, I know five minutes after you took that picture for your Facebook or Instagram fantasy world, you were inside your house with the blinds closed eating a pound of gluten-free bacon. I mean, who could live without bacon? So guess what? Post away because you aren't going to food shame meat. So welcome to the guilt-free zone where one dietitian who understands agriculture and quite frankly just has common sense drops some major truth bombs. Welcome to No Man's Land, shining the spotlight on women in agriculture while empowering all women in agriculture, going where no man has gone before. Welcome back to No Man's Land in Agriculture. Excited today to have Leah McGrath on the show with me. Now, if you're not familiar with Leah, you will be by the end of this, and you'll want to follow her on Twitter because she really has some interesting things that she tweets out. But she's a corporate supermarket dietitian, a former Army dietitian. She's the founder of Build Up Dietitians and has spent the last six years visiting over 40 farms and ranches just to learn more about agriculture and farming. How awesome is that, Leah? Thank you for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you, kind. It's a pleasure.
0: So six years ago, what gave you the idea that, hey, I actually want to go out to some farms and ranches and learn, uh, you know, more firsthand about, about what agriculture is doing?
1: You know, I think it was because of the types of questions I was getting from a lot of our customers that I felt I couldn't answer, you know, about how food was being raised, what was being put on crops, how animals were being treated. And I thought, you know, I need to know these things myself so that I can answer these people confidently and know where to direct them um, for more information and so that I feel comfortable as a dietitian because if pe what I found was that people were becoming so afraid of food that they were afraid to eat certain things, whether it was drinking milk or eating beef or eating pork or buying fruits and vegetables. So I just felt that the more I knew, the better I could help
0: people. So, Leah, when you hear things like, and thank, first of all, thank you for that. For, for farmers and oh, ranchers, God. thank you for that. But when you hear from people that say, for example, you know, I actually went to, um, I, I went to the chiropractor a couple of years ago and that chiropractor told me, he said, you know, you've got to stop drinking milk. It's bad for you. When you hear people say stuff like that, like what goes through your mind? Well, you know, it's
1: funny that you say, you mentioned chiropractor because I, I have the same kind of experience, but with another non-medical healthcare practitioner and, you know, I will sometimes ask you know why do you say that or why do you think that and I guess the first question is to find out the why like why do they believe that or why would they why would they put that kind of information out there without knowing uh your background or your preferences or um your nutritional needs and that's what we do as dietitians and You know, there's a lot of that out there now, Tyne. A lot of people are are spreading misinformation about our food supply and about um, things like milk or beef or pork or tomatoes. So, yeah, so finding out the why, why they think that.
0: And speaking of misinformation, you know, GMOs, that's been a hot topic for so long. It seems like the conversation is evolving, Leah, but still, mm-hmm. I hear from consumers, people on the street all the time, that, you know, that GMOs are, are, are bad for you. So when you hear someone make a claim like that, that GMOs are bad for you, as a dietitian, how do you respond? What do you say to that? Well, you know, again, I think it's a, a situation of asking the
1: why. And, you know, you I hear from people that are genuinely confused. They have heard things from a neighbor or on Facebook or something and they don't even honestly know what genetic engineering or GMO is. And sometimes they confuse it with gluten, believe it or not. So and I think it's because of the G thing, I have actually found a number of customers who confused GMO or non-GMO with gluten-free. So that's kind of strange. And then, um, you know, where, why are they afraid? And I think a lot of that boils down to concerns about food safety. Is this safe? Um, then some of them have had some kind of major health issue in their family, whether it's cancer or maybe it's autism, and they want to look for something to blame, and a lot of times uh, food is what they blame, and something like GMO becomes a scapegoat for some of those fears and to place blame on if they don't have any other anything else to pin it on.
0: So, you know, we, we hear it in agriculture and sometimes then it's difficult for us to respond to that. It's hard, you know, you know, you, it strikes a lot of emotion and and sometimes too much emotion, but give us something like, how should we respond to that? If somebody came up to me on the street and said, you know what, you should not eat that because GMOs are bad for you. What should we say? Right.
1: Well, I think first of all, you, you, you shouldn't be thinking about what you should say. You should be thinking about, you can listen better and ask questions to kind of get to the bottom of why they have those fears or concerns and then you know perhaps empathizing with them about those fears and concerns before you start throwing a bunch of science or information at somebody because I think that's a when we do that and I think that's a very natural tendency but it's also a very quick way to shut the conversation down right so um, I think listening and being empathetic, you know, I'm a mom too. I understand where you're coming from. Um, let me tell you kind of uh, can, is it okay if I can explain to you why I feel comfortable with these products, or you know, can I tell you about some farmers that I've visited or I've spoken to or and why they feel it's important to have access to um GMOs or genetically genetic engineering or gene editing. So I think to lead with listening is the most important thing
0: to think about. So as a dietitian though, when it comes to milk, when it comes to, you know, to beef, when it comes to GMOs, all of these things that we hear chatter about, are any of these things bad for us?
1: No. <laughs> I can't you know, it it's one of the I mean, it sounds really boring and this is probably why you know dietitians aren't you know have don't have millions of followers, but <laughs> hopefully hopefully we tend to be the people who are using evidence and science based information to communicate with our customers, our consumers, our clients, and you know it really is a moderation message. can you eat can you drink too much milk? oh, of course you can and. And that's maybe, and could be a real negative. Can you eat too much red meat or pork? Of course you can. Can you eat too many tomatoes or too much watermelon? Of course you can. So it really is about that balanced plate. It is about um, moderation. And it's not just about food. I mean, we 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 really need to think about the whole person and exercise and activity and, you know, Peace of mind and stress and emotional well-being. So
0: it's not just
1: about food. You
0: know, our health is certainly not only about what we eat. see. This is why I couldn't be a dietitian because when you say, <laughs> you know, like if somebody asked me, "Can you eat too much red meat?" I would say, "Heck no, you can't." See this, <laughs> Leah. This is why you're in the job you are. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and we like I love a
1: good steak as much as the next person. Um, And my husband's from Western North Carolina, and he's never met a pig he didn't like, um, especially when it's a cooked one. But, you know, I think it's, I love to enjoy all the amazing things that agriculture and farming brings to the table. And, um, yeah, it wouldn't be fair to, it's like having kids, right? You know, you don't, you're not going to
0: play favorites. Leah, there's all this food shaming going on, especially when I, you know, I, I talk to some other moms or follow some on Twitter sometimes, and you know, it's just like you feel guilty sometimes with some of the things you're eating because somebody is telling you it's bad. When did food shaming become a thing? Yeah, you know, that's such a great question, Tyne,
1: and I, um, I don't know if you and your listeners know Michelle Payne, um, who has the book Food Truths from Farm to Table. She talks about a lot about that issue about food shaming and, you know, food shouldn't be about guilt and it also shouldn't be about that level of obsession um, about things like clean eating and labels on food. I mean, whatever happened to just enjoying what we were eating and with our families or when we go out to dinner without being so preoccupied by a label on the front of the package, which is just marketing, that's all it is. so I, know I I feel like social media um, certainly has a responsibility in um, that conversation becoming so negative around food and mm-hmm. body image. Mm-hmm. Um, so I certainly saw a change when Facebook, Twitter, Instagram became really popular.
0: So you said labels labels are, are, are just marketing. So when you look at you enter the grocery store today and you are consumed by all the labels in the grocery store sure. right now, are a lot of those misleading, Leah? Oh, definitely.
1: I mean, if, if you think about the fact that you know you know in our supermarkets we have um, probably close to a hundred thousand different items. You know that's a, that's food and non food items, but how do brands and manufacturers attract your attention as you walk up and down the aisle. Well, they have to, you know, have certain colors on packaging and that's all re- That's all very psychological, like which colors attract attention and which areas of the store. Then they have to have certain labels on packaging that maybe are the trend or fad of the moment. You know, we went through the gluten-free phase, the non-GMO phase, so um, that all those things on Packaging are just really to attract attention. It's kind of like, you know, putting makeup, putting makeup on, right? So without makeup, you, know, you, you, I don't know. I'm pretty fair, so I don't look very impressive. Once I put a little bit of makeup on, I can attract a little bit more. So I feel like that's what manufacturers are doing. Those those labels in front of the pack package are just to attract attention. What I tell. Um, consumers or customers is don't pay attention to that turn the package around or over and look at that black and white nutrition facts panel look at the ingredients that's that's the truth right there that's not the marketing
0: but how many people actually turn around the box and don't just look at the label on the front how many actually look at that nutrition (laughs) panel on the back because i know when i'm in the grocery (laughs) store i don't take the time to do that enough you're such a buzzkill.
1: I know, right? <laughs> you are oh. you are absolutely right. Uh, the majority of customers do not do that. We in our perfect dietitian world, we would love it if more people did spend time looking at the nutrition facts panel and the ingredients. Um I I think I've seen somewhere some sort of metric or analysis that maybe 30% of consumers actually spend the time to look at the nutrition facts panel or the ingredients. That so doesn't
0: surprise me. not
1: as many as we would like. No.
0: Well, you know, it's not only labels on boxes, Leah. I mean we we try to label ourselves. I'm a vegan. Yeah. I'm a vegetarian. Right. I mean, all of these different labels. And you describe it as it's almost a religion for some.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of scary. I I don't know. I just I started having that observation a few years ago that I found that people were putting so much energy and into labels about how they eat and what they eat, that it was almost at the level of, of being a religion and um, you know, or a club, you know, that, that, okay, if I'm, you know, I'm in this club, it's a plant-based club. It's a plant-based non-GMO pasture-raised free range, cage-free club. And I only shop at these types of stores or these types of markets. So, and it becomes almost like a competition. It's very, uh, very, it's, it could be a good social uh, social sciences experiment to see what's going on there.
0: We were at Animal Ag Alliance Summit, and that's where I was able to meet you last year and heard you again speak this year. And you, know, you said, Leah, that about 84% of those who identify themselves as, as vegetarian will actually go back to eating meat, why is that? Why is it that so many that say, "You know what, I'm not eating meat anymore," end up going back to eating meat? Well, well, it, besides because mean, it's really mean, good. I mean, that you know that that's number one. <laughs> besides that, well,
1: and you remember, you remember what I said is like bacon is the gateway meat for a lot of people who are vegetarian. Um, yeah, stop, stop right there before
0: you go on because that has to see- <laughs> sink into our listeners. Bacon is the gateway meat for. <laughs> vegetarians to go back to eating meat bacon is the and I see why I see why anyway it's an amazing smell yeah I mean Um, how can you not love bacon that's what I don't understand (laughs) anyway so why is it that they go back to eating meat well and that figure is from a
1: professor from uh, Professor Emeritus from Western Carolina University Hal Herzog who's done a lot of research into Vegetarians and um, and animals and and the relationship we have with animals, and he observed that even people who were calling themselves vegetarian, when you when you kind of question them about what they had eaten, like two thirds of the people who called themselves vegetarian uh, admitted to having eaten meat during the week when they were being interviewed because they were vegetarian. Seriously. So. Yeah. So doesn't that so, mean they weren't
0: really vegetarians?
1: No, yeah. So again, it, I think you know technically they're probably more like semi-vegetarians or flexitarians, however <laughs> you want to say that. But yeah, and, and I think it's very interesting that um, that there can be a lot of reasons people go back resume eating meat, and, and some of it that I saw in literature was uh, people didn't feel as good they They felt like they lacked energy, they were anemic, their medical their their physicians had told them, you know maybe you should go back and resume eating meat because you know your lab values are you know you're anemic, and we can't we can't seem to resolve that unless you take a bunch of supplements um or maybe they got some better cooking skills, and you see that on a lot with millennials who don't have cooking skills so they don't know how to cook a piece of meat. They don't have the money. Perhaps they think it's too expensive to buy meat or fish, seafood, whatever. So they they just don't eat meat, or maybe they only eat it when they go out or when they're with their families or something like that. Um, maybe they got questions answered. Maybe they had some concerns about um, how animals are treated, or their animal welfare, and they those questions or concerns were resolved, and they feel. They don't have the dissonance about eating meat any longer. So, or maybe they just think, you know what, I miss eating meat and I want to go back to eating meat. So, I think there can be a lot of different reasons that people resume eating um, meat. Uh, some of it social, some of it just availability, health reasons. But there it is about 84% go resume eating
0: meat. I don't even know if someone offered to pay me a million dollars if I could be uh, a vegetarian for more than like two days. I don't even know <laughs> if I could make it two days. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, well, and, and it seems like the majority of Americans feel the same way, you know, in, in terms of the numbers – The percentage of people in the United States that identify as vegetarian is only about two to three percent, and research shows, even by the Vegetarian Resource Group, that that number hasn't really changed in twenty years. Only two to three percent.
0: Yeah, it's a very small number. Are really vegetarian? It just proves, though, that they make a lot of noise. You know, that's because you would think it would be much more than that.
1: Yeah and in the vegan big uh, people who identify as vegan is even much smaller than that you're talking about probably less than 0.5% of the population so it's a very small percentage but unfortunately um it it can uh some of those loudest they can be the loudest voices that that retailers or that farmers here, uh, especially on social media.
0: Yeah, we know that all too well. All right. Speaking of labels, real quick, this plant-based diets. You've mentioned it. You talked about it at the Animal Ag Alliance Summit. Really quick. I have I have a, a, a question on this, but really quick. What is plant-based diets? I mean, I think I know what I mean, but or what it means. But what is the official definition, or is there one?
1: So there's really no official definition. But when you look at it online, or when you look at research about it, it looks a lot like describing somebody who follows a vegetarian or meat-free diet. So their diet is primarily fruits, vegetables, grains, seeds, nuts. Um, in some cases, you, people who follow a plant-based based diet say that they are, are described as having occasional sources of animal animal products, meat, chicken, fish, eggs, dairy. In some cases, you'll find people who are plant-based who do not have any animal products in their diet. So that looks more like... A vegetarian, or perhaps even a vegan, Um, but and it's also can be called interchangeably like plant forward, plant focused, plant. um, So there's a couple different ways people describe
0: it. That just adds more confusion. Anyway, I know. Is it true though that with these plant-based diets, that like groups like um, HSUS are training food service professionals in like hospitals, colleges, all of these these places to use more plant-based Diets and and cook this way because they say it's healthier.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely seeing that. I mean, I've I've seen it here locally, and I've heard about cases in hospitals throughout the U.S. where um, the food service is. It starts out maybe with a meatless Monday, and then moves into um, having calling their menu plant based and getting rid of. Products from um, cafeterias, from food service, training physicians, training dietitians, training food service workers on um, plant-based menus. Now, there's n- I have nothing against eating fruits and vegetables and grains, things like that, because it's part of the dietary guidelines. That's recommendation is to have um, half your plate fruits and vegetables, and then whole grains and and protein, but um, I think some of the what's behind those initiatives, when you look at it more closely, are groups like NutritionFacts.org, which is a vegan group, and a Physicians for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, which is another vegan group. And um, so, I I'm I'm a little wary. I'm a little suspicious of what is the ultimate motivation for that kind of training. Is it to get people to eat more fruits and vegetables and grains and learn how to cook things like that? Or is it um, to push people to, towards a, a vegan or vegetarian diet?
0: Well, to wrap things up, Leah, as a dietitian, what do you want farmers and ranchers to know?
1: Oh, Well, I would love farmers and ranchers to know that um, dietitians, most of us want to learn more about farming and agriculture. And, um, I know a lot of farmers and ag people don't interact with dietitians regularly, but there are lots of ways to uh change that by um reaching out to your state dietetic associations and getting to know dietitians because we're the people between the farm and the plate we're, that help educate consumers and it's the more we know, the more we can help farmers and the ag community spread good news about. Um, this amazing food system we have in the United States so um, yeah and if I can be of any help I, I am more than willing to help connect people and um, yeah the and more you the more we all know it the better
0: for all of us and Leah real quick what is your advice specifically for women in agriculture I mean I look at my case you know I'm, I'm a mom um I have a lot of friends that that you know they do the grocery shopping, they do all of that for their household. I'm one of those that does all the grocery shopping for my household. What is your advice for women in agriculture?
1: Well, you know, I am amazed by how many incredible women who are involved in agriculture that are on social media because you can relate to uh all these consumers and shoppers so much better than many times I can, because you're telling stories right from the farmer, right from the agriculture community. And I think that your credibility is so much greater because you are speaking not only as a mom, but as somebody who knows the agriculture community, knows the farming community. Um, So I would encourage more women to get involved in social media, to be involved in their communities, to speak up, Speak out um, when they see things that are incorrect, but in a um, in a kind way. Um, also, to listen, and um, I also realize that some people in farming and agriculture are just as susceptible to some of the misinformation that the typical consumer is um, susceptible to. So, you know, watch your sources and um, be careful to follow science. Make sure you're following science and evidence and not um, fear-based messages.
0: Well, and Leah is a great source for that. She writes a weekly and monthly column for regional publications but also hosts a weekly radio program on News Radio 570 AM and appears monthly on Your Carolina TV. But most importantly, she is like one of the most followed supermarket dietitians on Twitter. So, Leah, what's your Twitter handle so we can all give you a follow?
1: Sure, they can follow me as Leah McGrath, M-C-G-R-A-T-H-R-D,
0: and I'm on Twitter. All right, Leah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Time. It was a pleasure talking with you. It was fun. Thank you so much. All right, that does it for No Man's Land in Agriculture. Until next time, be safe out there. way talking, it's a cheap disguise. We were men.